0: Praise the Lord. God bless all of you. So good to see everyone here today. Amen. Happy Father's Day. We'll do more with that later. But uh, for now, just revel in the fact that you made it this far, Father. Amen. God bless you. Good job. (laughs) Amen. Let's all stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask Him to bless this service, that He would lead and direct it, that His will would be manifest here again today. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty Savior. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High this morning. Thank You, Jesus, again, for this opportunity You've given us to enter into the presence of Almighty God, the very throne room of the Almighty. Help us, Lord Jesus, today to receive Your good things, everything that You have in store for us. We desire it. But most of all, Lord, we desire You. We desire to hear Your voice, to feel Your touch, to spend time in Your presence. Hallelujah, Jesus. This is why we live for You. This is our hope. This is our great desire. Hallelujah. Thank You, Jesus, for all that You're going to do here today. We give glory and honor unto You. We worship and we praise You today. Hallelujah, Jesus. We look forward to awesome things from an awesome God. We don't ask lightly. We don't ask small, because You are a great big God, and anything is possible with You. Whatever it is we have need of today, we can find our needs met in You here today. Thank You, Jesus, for Your faithfulness to us, Your long-suffering patience toward us. Thank You, Jesus, that You came and died for us. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Our youth can be dismissed. Amen. By way of review, last week we talked about the woman caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees were a little frustrated with Jesus. The Pharisees got to the place where they would do just about anything to shut him down, including setting up a scene for the sole purpose of trying to trap him. In the name of righteousness and justice, those were the reasons given implicitly. They asked Jesus if they should obey the law of Moses and stone the woman caught in the act of adultery. But of course, Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew that they weren't interested in righteousness, or godliness, or holiness, or justice. They had one thing on their minds. To burn this man to the ground. To show, to demonstrate what they already knew. That this man was not the Messiah. Folks, you can't trap Jesus with His words. People have been trying to do it for 2,000 years, trying to find contradictions in the Word of God, trying to find some inconsistencies. But they are truth personified. The words that Jesus speaks are truth. They're life. There are no contradictions. There are no logical fallacies. Jesus, God, He thinks logically naturally. Logic is how He thinks naturally. How are you going to trap someone like that? There is never any arbitrariness. There are never any inconsistencies with God. What's arbitrariness? Just believing something because. No reason for it. It just is. I believe in the flying spaghetti monster. Why? What reason do you have for that? Because. Well, you can believe in God. I can believe in the flying spaghetti monster. Well, yeah, I suppose, but... If we're going to be reasonable, if we're going to be logical, you've got to have a reason for it. You cannot be arbitrary. God is never arbitrary. There are never any inconsistencies with God. What is an inconsistency? Well, that's believing that we evolved from a rock and that human beings have no value except for our chemical composition. And then you go home and kiss your wife and love on your children as if they have meaning. That's being inconsistent with someone's belief. God is never inconsistent. Therefore, there is no place and no chance to trap Jesus in any kind of trap. You will never do it. His words are true altogether. When Jesus does finally give them an answer, it blows their plans sky high, as He always does. Jesus demonstrates to them their hypocrisy, that their motives in this are not pure. That they too are worthy of judgment. Since you're so worried about justice, since you're so worried about righteousness, let's talk about justice. You too are worthy of judgment. You too have sin. Jesus again demonstrates to us also in this passage of Scripture why he came not to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus wasn't minimizing or making light of the woman's sin by dismissing it so easily. But He was magnifying His authority to wipe slates clean. The daily devotions. There was a statement at the very beginning I thought was good. Perhaps we should set aside questions, speculations, the rumor mill, and the gossip machine and appreciate the power of forgiveness forgiveness without question just like Jesus forgave you just like Jesus forgave me day 1 there's only one way only one way to be delivered to be saved from judgment and that is through the blood of Jesus you will never pay it yourself there's you can't whip yourself enough you can't wear enough uh wool shirts you can't you can't walk enough on bare feet over glass to pay for your sins. There's nothing that you can do for no amount of time that will pay the debt that you owe. Only Jesus Christ can forgive that debt. There are situations we face or will face and the only way out will be through Jesus Christ. I think we all know this by now. Some situations in life are just impossible. And as a Christian, I believe they're that way on purpose. So that we are forced to come to Jesus so that He can deliver us, that He can help us through that mess, that situation that we find ourselves in. There are things in our lives that afflict, that torment, that bind. And the only way we'll be delivered from them is through Jesus Christ. It's an absolute fact. We've got to learn to lean on Him. I know you're strong. I know you're sufficient. But there are some things in this life, friend, you're not strong enough. You don't have enough talent. You don't have enough money to take care of it. Let Jesus take care of that for you. Day two. A painting that was overlooked for decades... Uh, this this uh, devotion talks about, until it was discovered to be an original Rembrandt piece. Now, I'm not much on art. I'm not much of an artiste. But uh, I know Rembrandts are worth a pretty penny. I don't know why. But they are. In any case, uh, once they knew it was a Rembrandt, everybody looked at this painting differently. Same painting. Same exact painting. Same frame, same everything. But now they were like, oh... It just, it just pops now. It just shines now. Why is that? It was completely overlooked before. The way people viewed the painting changed once they knew who created it. And we are just like that. You may think of yourself. You may see other people as common and ordinary until you begin to realize who created them. Who created you that you are the work of the Master. Make sure you treat all people, yourself included, like Jesus created you individually, with love and with purpose. Day three. This devotion drives home a very real truth. To know the Bible is absolutely vital, but to know the God of the Bible is equally vital. You can't have one. you got to have both. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. We've got to know the Word of God, most assuredly. That's definitely true. You've got to know it, study it, memorize it, hide it in your heart. Apt to teach. But that in and of itself isn't enough. Folks, the devil knows the Bible better than you ever will. It's not going to do him any good. And it won't do you any good either. You've got to apply it. And you've got to know the God of the Bible. You've got to have both. Day four. Even though Switzerland's foreign policy has always been one of neutrality, their military has had several incidents with its neighboring country of Liechtenstein. August 26, 1976, 75 troops entered Liechtenstein without permission. In 1992, some Swiss recruits entered Liechtenstein and set up an observation tower. 2007, 171 Swiss troops entered Liechtenstein unknowingly when they were disoriented by the weather. How? Well, these incursions happen because both Switzerland and Liechtenstein have open border policies that have resulted in no clear boundaries between the two nations. No one's really sure where one country starts and another country ends. They're not really sure where that takes place. The boundaries that are not clearly marked are easily overlooked and crossed. Obviously, the parallel here is we need clearly defined boundaries in our lives. We need that. They are our protection. Day five: Enslaved people began to fight for their freedom the moment their freedom was taken away. But over time, over time, people begin to endure the unspeakable atrocities. And escape starts to look so far away that fighting back becomes rarer and seemingly futile. Folks, that is, that is absolutely true. Alexander Solzhenitsyn speaks of this in his book, The Gulag Archipelago. It's a hard read, friend. It's a long read. But there are some, there are some, some pretty interesting truths in there. He talks about the fact that he was, uh, he was around right before the, the Bolshevik Revolution. And on in afterward. But in any case, they fought. He said they fought hard. They fought bravely for a little while. And then they just stopped. They just gave up. And they began to just accept the new reality. We saw that in COVID, didn't we? The new reality people were talking about. This is the way things are going to be. Just accept it. Learn to live with it. Endure it. Sin is just like this. The more we endure its bondage, the more mired in it we become. And the more hopeless we get that we'll ever escape it. Sin is a very tricky thing, folks. You dabble in it. You play around with it. And it's fun. And it's kind of exciting doing something I'm not supposed to do. It's exciting. But then it gets a hold of you. And before you know it, you can't get out of it. Just stay away from it. Don't ever let yourself fall into a place where you might become entrapped. Where you might enter into a place of bondage. Just stay away from it. Don't play with it. Jesus came to deliver us from this bondage completely and forever. If there is any bondage in anybody's life, any bondage of sin, any bondage of of hurts or wounds, folks, Jesus can heal. Jesus can deliver from that today. He wants to. That's why He came. He didn't come just to so we could sit on these nice comfy pews and, and, uh, and have church. That's not why He came. He came to deliver. He came to heal. He came to restore. That we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. That's why He came. Let Jesus deliver you from whatever it is you're entrapped in today. Our lesson for today. We're going to read a few verses uh, at different points, but we're going to start with Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. The theme for this month still being forgiveness. Today we're going to talk about 70 times 7. Matthew 18, 21 and 22, He says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Till seven times? Now I thought for a long time that this was just a... An arbitrary number. Just picked it out of the air. Seven times? But that's not true. Apparently, uh, in the day, back in the day here, in Jewish times, ancient times, there was a belief that you needed to forgive someone three times. After three times, you were good. I don't have to forgive you anymore after that. So, Peter... Willing to really up the ante. Seven times. That ought to be plenty. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. New York City at Christmas time is breathtaking, although I wouldn't know. Ryan and Ashley flew there from Florida to spend three days in Manhattan. It was beautiful and busy. One of their friends drove them around town. Traffic was so tightly packed, they felt like they could reach out the window and open the glove compartment of the car beside them. Yellow cabs with silver bumpers were everywhere. The bumpers used to be yellow, but it's not really a good day for a cabbie in New York unless they've traded a little paint. One of the highlights of that trip was a little shopping trip to Chinatown. Ryan wanted a baseball cap, but he did not want to pay full price. Chinatown was famous for bargaining. But Ryan wasn't exactly the bargaining kind of guy. His friend coached him on how to get the best price. They'll sell for a high, but you offer low. They'll say no, you walk out. Then you meet somewhere in the middle. That's how the game is played. All right, Ryan gave it a shot. He walked into a shop, saw the baseball cap on the shelf, and asked, how much for the Braves hat? Twenty bucks. Will you take 15? Twenty. Sold. Maybe next time, Ryan. Everyone wants to pay as little as possible to get as much as possible. That's fair. Peter was no better at the game than Ryan. Peter walked into the store and saw Jesus standing behind the counter. Mercy was sitting on every shelf and on the counter and on the racks and in the windows. Mercy was everywhere in this shop, but Peter knew Jesus. He knew how much Jesus valued mercy. So rather than insult Jesus by asking to pay less for it, he offered Jesus above the asking price which was 3 <clears throat> rabbis down the street were selling oh <laughs> we're selling mercy for 3 bucks a day they taught if a brother sins against you god called you to forgive him 3 times after that you're off the hook but peter knew Jesus was more merciful than most in fact he's more merciful than everyone peter opened up his wallet pulled out 3 bills then 3 more and one more for good measure He offered Jesus well above asking price. Jesus, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times? You want me to be merciful, Jesus? Can do. Seven times seemed mighty merciful to Peter, especially since the going rate was three times. Jesus took a glance at mercy all throughout the shop and replied, Not seven, Peter. Seventy times seven. And then Jesus told this story. We'll pick that up in verse 23 of Matthew 18. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. Several million dollars today. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. No, he wasn't. There's no way he could pay all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. That sounds familiar. That sounds like exactly what this man just asked the king, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt, because bless God, I need that money i I need it. I lent that to him in good faith, and he's trying to renege on me, right? So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, until he should pay all that was due unto him so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Amen. Ten thousand talents is a big deal. That's a big debt. Again, several million dollars. If you owed someone several million dollars, how long would it take you to repay it? I don't have to do too much figuring, I don't need a calculator to figure out how long it would take me, probably about 13,000 years at my going wages. There's no way I could repay it in my lifetime. Most of us would never be able to repay that, not ever. This man that owed 10,000 talents knew that at this point he was going to be sold into slavery. His wife and his children were going to be sold into slavery. All that he had was going to be sold to try to pay off this debt. Well, if you got top dollar for slaves in that day, if the king got top dollar for every one of his family, you'd get one talent apiece. That was maxed out. Average was about a tenth of a talent. How far was that going to go in paying off the 10,000 talents? The man's belongings wouldn't have sold for much more. That debt was impossible for him to repay. There was nothing he could do to take care of it. Now, I have no idea how he got into that kind of a mess in the first place. That's a huge debt, folks. But he begged the king for mercy and for more time to pay, which was ludicrous. No amount of time would have helped this man. But rather than get more time, the king had compassion on the man and forgave the entire debt. Can you imagine how that must have felt? He was begging for more time. Just give me a little space. I'll try to think of something. But the king said, I'll just wipe it clean. how that must have felt that crushing debt was gone he was saved his family was saved his possessions were going to remain in his in his charge he's going to be able to keep going home to his place he wasn't going to lose everything and he had a fresh start on life isn't that what forgiveness does it wipes the slate clean, folks. It gives us a fresh start on life. And Jesus isn't minimizing our sin when He forgives us. He's not making light of it, just like we're not making light of things that we forgive others of. People are afraid of that. Well, if I just keep forgiving them, they're going to think that it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, it matters. It matters to Jesus what I did against Him. But He forgave me anyway. God will forgive every one of our debts. We all had a load of sin that we could never pay for. Well, how is that? I was a pretty good guy. Yeah, I told some white lies. I I did a few things, but I didn't kill anybody. I didn't rob a bank. I'm good to my wife. I'm good to my kids. What do you mean I have this huge debt of sin? Well, here's the thing, folks. Your idea of sin and God's idea of sin are a little bit different. In fact, they're a whole lot different. Why is that? I'm coming from the perspective of a fallen individual. I live in this fallen, I have this fallen human nature still resident within me. I have another nature, thank God for that. But I still struggle from time to time with the old nature. I live in a fallen world. I'm surrounded by it. Rebellion, sin, things that are contrary to the law of God. I'm surrounded by it, I see it every day. So do you. And we can get a little bit numb to it. We can get a little bit used to it. Well, these things aren't all that bad. There have been a bunch of studies done on this. <clears throat> uh, but long story short, uh, the studies all show this. You know, the church, the church always remains above the world in, in general righteousness and in godliness. But as the world goes down, the church goes down too. We stay above the world, but they're both going down. Why is that? Because we get used to it. We become numb to it. Folks, the standard is Jesus Christ, not the world. Just staying above the world isn't good enough. That's not how I'm going to be judged on the last day. Well, were you more righteous than the world was? Okay, good to go. That's not how it's going to go down. The measure is God's character. In fact, that's the very definition of right and wrong. Good and evil is God's character. Yeah, we've probably got time. Who has the authority to tell us what's right and wrong? Who gets to tell me how I should live my life? That's the big question today. That's people's struggle. That's their difficulty. Why don't they accept the Word of God? I'll tell you why. Because they don't want someone telling them how to live their lives. They want to determine for themselves. I want the authority to determine right and wrong myself. That's how it all started, right? Adam and Eve. I want to know what's right and wrong. I want to to decide that for myself. And why can't I? What's wrong with that? You can't know right and wrong. You weren't built to know right and wrong. What we were built to do is to receive that as a revelation from God. Straight up. You can do with that what you want. Your human reason will not lead you to truth. Your human reason all by itself will lead you to error. I've tried it, folks. It doesn't work. My human reason, when I was looking for truth, it led me to New Age stuff. That's where I was headed. But then there was someone in my unit that was going to this church. I hadn't tried this kind of church yet. The rest, as they say, is history. I would found what I was looking for. Praise God. But not by human reason. I found it by divine revelation. God led me to that church. As I looked through the... I was in the 82nd Airborne Division and then I got transferred to another place that I hated. They were all all new jumpers there. They were brand new. They'd never jumped except for jump school. And I had to jump with them at night. 150 people in the air all at one time. Scared me to death. Turns out I was scared for a reason. I was avoiding everybody. By the time I finally got to a clear place, I was on the ground. I didn't even deploy my rucksack. I landed with my rucksack. You're not supposed to do that. That's dangerous. I didn't have time. I was avoiding everyone else. But God transferred me there for a reason. Because there was a guy in there that was going to be going to church here. Not here, but the truth. And I heard him talking to someone else. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. I haven't tried this yet. Can I come to church with you? Ta-da! God got me where He needed me to be. How about that? But that was divine revelation. My reason was leading me off somewhere crazy. Thank God for divine revelation. Truth is found by divine revelation. But we're not going to receive that revelation if we don't give God the authority to do that. Who has the authority in your life? Who has the authority in my life? Does God have the authority? Or does someone else, does something else, do you have it? Someone has the authority, folks. Don't give me this this malarkey about, well, everybody can just decide for themselves. You don't believe that? Cuz when we disagree, you're going to say I'm wrong. Oh, you don't have the authority to tell me I'm wrong. Well, who does? The government What if I overthrow the government? What then? It's been done before in history. I'm not going to. President Biden, I have no plans on doing that. But, it's been done in history. We just talked a little bit about, go about the Bolshevik Revolution. What then? Now the government doesn't have the authority. Now who has the authority? Majority vote. How about that? Well, what if I don't care about the majority? What if I still want to do this? Why should I care about the majority? Who has the authority to tell me that I ought to care about the majority? You see where I'm getting at here. Someone has to have the authority. The ultimate authority. The only one that has ultimate authority is God. There is no one higher than God. God has all authority. His authority is inherent. Any authority that you and I have is delegated. It comes ultimately from God. But we have no authority of ourselves. Only God does. He has the ultimate authority. So when God says something is wrong, it's wrong. You can disagree with it. Fair enough. You can argue. You can live your life differently. God gives you that right. But it's still wrong. And everyone is going to find out at the end, for good or for bad, that this is truth and everything else is error. Our view of sin is skewed and it's incorrect. What is sin? That's rebellion against God. It's not doing what He wants done. It's doing what I want done. Sin destroys the very thing that God loves. God doesn't forgive it willy-nilly. God doesn't make light of it. He doesn't minimize it. God hates it. He hates it with every fiber in his being. He hates sin. Why? Because it destroys what he loves. It destroys lives. It destroys relationships. It destroys the potential that he placed in every individual. With us, there are varying degrees of sin. There's the little white lie, and there's the child rapist. None of us would think that those are equal. But God does. How could that be? Sin is sin, folks. I think sometimes when we say it out loud, we know it's wrong, but, but we start to live our lives as if, as long as the good outweighs the bad in my life, I'm okay. It doesn't work like that. Sin is sin, period. We also differentiate between my sin and your sin. My sin is trivial. It's, it's not that big a deal. But uh, let's talk about your sin. Oh, brother, I'm praying for you. Because you need it. You got sin. Now there's no Differentiation. James 2, 6-10 says this, But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Verse 10 says this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend at one point, He is guilty of all. The question that God has for us isn't, have you done more good than bad? Well, what kind of sins did you commit? Well, okay, I can work with them. It's, did you break my law or no? That's the only question He has. Did you break my law or no? If you... If you've never broken any part of the law, you're good to go. You don't need a Savior. You made it all on your own. I'm serious. If you've never broken the law, not once, you're perfect. You don't need a Savior. You made it. But if you have broken the law at any point, any part of the law, one time, then you're guilty of all the law. That translates you from saint... A sinner, right there. Period. And you need a savior. You need a savior because you've broken the law. That's the question that God has. If you've broken the law, you're just as guilty as anyone else that's broken the law. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you haven't done. Doesn't matter that these sins that that guy did are a whole lot worse than mine. That's a differentiation that you and I make. God doesn't make that. And we struggle with that. And we struggle with that, again, because we're coming from our perspective. God is coming from his perspective of absolute holiness. Absolute righteousness, pure perfection. He created us to be the same. If God sinned only one time, would He still be righteous? Would He still be holy? No. He would not. But God is perfect, He doesn't sin. One person's sin is just as heinous as any other person's sin. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery versus the man. We talked about that last week. Pharisees brought the woman who committed adultery before Jesus. Said we caught her in the very act. That was their words. We caught her in the very act. Where's the guy? Who is he acting with? You're interested in righteousness here? Justice? Where's the guy? Having respect of persons. Letting someone one guy slide, focusing on the other person. For whatever reason. We cannot have respect of persons. God doesn't respect persons. He respects righteousness. He respects obedience and submission to His authority. That's how God can view things so black and white. Because God is perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. This is the perspective that God views sin from. God's character is the standard of right and wrong, good and evil. Period. If We're not measuring up to His character. We're not measuring up. Period. Doesn't matter that I stay above the world. Doesn't matter that I'm living better than Brother and so and so and Sister so and so. Doing better than them, so I must be doing okay. No. Now, that doesn't mean you're doing okay at all. Are you measuring up to the book? Are you measuring up to God? If not, then ask Him to help you. Because I promise you, friend. He died so that we could. This isn't an impossible thing that he is asking. Anything that God asks us to do, we can do. Anything that God calls us to do, any commands he gives us, we are able to do through him. Through him. And if we will do that, folks, oh, this isn't hard. This is so easy. Living for God is so simple. All I got to do is what I'm told. But we don't want to do what we're told. I got plans. I got things I want to do. This is what I want to do with my life. I don't know what to tell you. You can try to do that, you may get some measure of success. Some semblance of fulfillment, but probably not. If I just serve Jesus with my life, if I just give it all to Him, just completely submit myself to His plan, His will, I decide with my will, with my free moral agency, I'm going to serve Jesus today. I'm going to submit myself to His plan. These are the commandments. I'm going to do my level best with the help of God to, to to live according to those precepts, those judgments, those commandments that He's given me. This is what God would do. This is what Jesus would do. Therefore, that's what I'm going to do. How would God respond to this situation? Well, that's how I'm going to respond. Don't tell me you can't. The truth is, You won't, right? I won't. If it's not getting done, it's because I'm making different choices, yeah? I have no excuse. I'm German, glad to be German. I like Germany, but I can't use that as a reason for my hot head or whatever it is. I'm a new creature now. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. It's God's desire that I be Christ-like. That's what Christian means, right? Christ-like. I am to demonstrate Him every day, every situation. And when I fall short, I repent. Ask Him to help me next time. And I get up and I move forward. Keep moving forward. But I can live Christ-like. I can be Christ-like. That's God's perfect will for me. That's God's perfect will for you. We can do that. Specifically for our message today, we can forgive others. Why? We can forgive others because Jesus Christ forgave me. I know what he's forgiven me of. So it should be a piece of cake for me to forgive someone else. Because I know what I've been forgiven of. I know the debt that was taken care of for me. The little pittance that someone owes me, that's easy. That's easy, folks. The king's servant, though, he didn't seem to think so. He must have been grateful. He must have been thankful that that debt was forgiven. So grateful, in fact, that he immediately ran out to someone that owed him a little bit of money and demanded that. This is a great day. Let's keep it going. Not only do I have my debt wiped out, I'm going to collect this debt that they owe me. Win-win. Win-win. This would take about three months to pay back. It was doable. A hundred pence. It was pennies compared to the debt the other man had owed the king. His fellow servant cried for mercy just like this man had cried for mercy in front of the king. Almost verbatim. Unlike the king, however, this man showed no mercy at all. But had the man thrown into prison until he paid off everything. And that man would have remained in prison until family or friends could gather the amount of money owed or until the prisoner worked off all the debt. Well, this got back to the king, as things oftentimes do. And he was upset about it. Matthew eighteen thirty-two 32-34 says, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. No other reason than that. He wasn't worthy of it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it because you asked of me. That was the reason. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him into the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. This man was completely forgiven of an impossible debt. He had received mercy. Unwarranted mercy. And yet, for as much as this man had received, he had no mercy to give to the man that owed him a small pittance. You don't know what he did to me. I've heard people say. I can't just make light of what he did. He'll just keep doing it if he doesn't learn his lesson right now. That's just too much to forgive. What would be too much to forgive? I can think of some things that would be extremely difficult. How about abuse? How about rape? How about the prison guard at the gulag that keeps torturing you over and over and over again? At the same time, I don't want you to think that I'm making light of these situations either. Because there are some situations, folks, that in our own power, I don't doubt that it would be impossible for us to forgive in our own power. I don't doubt that that at all. I've tried to place myself mentally in some of these situations and then ask, how would I respond? What would I do? How would I respond if I were facing the situation this person is facing? I don't know. I honestly don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that God knows. I know that God knows exactly what you've endured. I know God knows that. And He's asking us to forgive anyway. Because if we can can step out of our situation for a moment and try to look at things from God's perspective... What did we do against God? And He forgave us everything because we asked. Was the debt He forgave me of greater or lesser value than the debt someone may owe me? I assure you, the debt that I owed God was far greater. And in unthinkable cases like rape or abuse or someone comes in and slaughters my family, I mean, unspeakable atrocities, they take place every day in this world. Someone someone, Someone survives that. Someone has to live through the consequences of that. How are they supposed to respond? How are they supposed to deal with that, to move on from that? I get it. Those are tough, those are tough questions to answer. But God's power is infinite. And God's power working in me can cause me to truly forgive someone of even that. Because when I forgive. Unforgiveness, folks, that's bondage. That's a slow poison. That's a slow cancer. And if you don't get rid of it, it will it will eat you up. Unforgiveness. If you just let that go. Just give it to God. When you're saying, I forgive that person, you're not making light of what they did. God's not making light of what you did. He's treating it as what it is. Do you know why He can forgive you? Because He paid the price Himself. What price was that? He hung on a cross, right? He got whipped. His face was unrecognizable. He was beaten. The flesh was hanging in strips off of His back. And He hung on a cross for hours, bleeding out. That was the price that was paid for your sin. That was the price of your debt. God's not asking me to pay anything like that. Just a simple, I forgive that person. I'm releasing him to you, God. God can help us to do even that. God can release us of that bondage. He can release us of the bitterness, the hate, the whatever it is, uh, the, the residual emotions that, that stem from unforgiveness. He can release us of all of that. We can be free. Completely free. And what a weight it is when that's lifted off. What a victory! What a deliverance! What a what, what a what a what a fresh start that that is for us. You can be free of that. God desires to free you from that. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not making light of it. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But don't you want to be free? If you could be free of it, wouldn't you choose to be? Matthew 6.12 says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6.14 and 15 says, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that's the other side of the equation. We are commanded to forgive. If we do not forgive, if we do not allow God to work this out in my life, if I do not allow God's power to to transform me to the point where I can forgive that person, and release that to God, and be free of it, then I'm going to be treated like this servant who was forgiven of the king. The king called his servant wicked because he did not treat his neighbor as the king treated him. Again, who's the standard of right and wrong? Jesus is. How Jesus responds in a situation that's how I need to respond in a situation. Jesus forgave. Therefore, I need to forgive. Somehow. I need to ask God for the strength. I need to ask God for the will to, to help me to get this done. But i got to do it. Because the servant refused to be merciful, he disqualified himself from receiving mercy himself. And now instead of being forgiven that impossible debt, it's His to pay in full. I don't want to pay that debt. I don't. I came to the Lord because I wanted Him to pay for it. I don't want that debt back. I'm going to forgive. Somehow. That's what God wants me to do. Somehow, I'm going to get that done. Matthew 18.35 So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Folks, Jesus takes this extremely seriously. He takes it seriously. And we can't play around with this and we can't make light of it. If I refuse to forgive you, he will not forgive me. And my sin is still here. My debt is still here. That's about as serious, in my mind, as as you can get. We've got to forgive others. How many times? Seven times? Nope. Seventy times seven. In other words, I just keep forgiving. Period. I just keep doing it. It's not mine to take care of. Yes, that sin was done against me. It could be a very real thing. It could be a, an actual, yeah, you're right. That was wrong. You've been wronged. No doubt about it. But that's not mine to take care of. I'm not judge, jury, and executioner on the, on planet earth. I'm not. I have not been given that authority. Jesus has that authority, and He he, he subsumes that all to Himself. That's His. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. That's not my purview. If God doesn't give that authority to me, I don't have it. If God keeps that to Himself, so be it. I'm going to trust Him to take care of it. He's the righteous judge. He will judge righteously. He will judge perfectly. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows the hearts of men and women. He knows exactly what happened. He knows the motives behind it. He will judge that case righteously. We said a little bit ago, there's not always justice in this life but there will be justice at the end. Someday God's going to balance the books. He's going to close everything out. So don't worry about justice. If I may speak freely, like the Pharisees bringing that woman before Jesus, I start crying justice to God, He may ask me about me. You want justice, huh? Let me tell you what that means. Do I really want justice? Or do I want mercy? I want mercy. This teaching is hard. And depending on the situation, it may be extremely hard to follow. Forgiving someone does not mean that what the person did was okay. And in extreme situations, such as abuse, consult the proper leaders or authorities. Yet the Lord is calling us to forgive, to release debt, and put the person in His hands. You may not be able to imagine how you could forgive a particular person, but if you commit yourself to forgiving, God will help you through His Spirit to forgive. He will strengthen you in the journey of forgiveness until it is finished. Forgiving is not pretending the wrong did not happen. Neither is forgiving allowing someone to continue willfully and maliciously harming us. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It happens when we consciously decide to cancel someone's debt, which means we will not hold the wrong over the person, actively seeking to punish or turn others against the person. When we forgive, we decide we will not retaliate or repay someone for what he or she has done to us. In doing this, we make space for God to avenge us if he thinks we need to be avenged. God's Word still declares in Romans 12:19, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Forgiveness gives God permission to fight our battles for us. We can try to fight them ourselves with very limited results, or we can step out and let God fight our battles for us. This is one battle He wants to fight for us. Let's not think of forgiveness as a feeling, especially at first. It is deeper than ceasing to feel angry, resentful, or hurt. It will likely be a long time before we can feel that way. Think of forgiveness as a commitment to act or not to act. Over time, God will change our feelings, and they will soften and not sting quite as much. It may take a long time, but God can work on our hearts as we seek to obey Him. God will heal our hearts, and we will be able to think of the person who hurt us without feeling hatred, anger, or bitterness. The sting will be gone. That's when you know you're completely delivered from it. You can view the person, you can think of the situation, and there's no emotional response. It's completely gone. God has completely delivered you. Choosing to <coughs> Excuse me. Choosing to forgive takes a moment, but the process takes time. And we can know when the process is complete. We are fully forgiven when we no longer tell our stories the victim trying to get people to sympathize with us and turn against the person who hurt us. Further, we know we have forgiven when we no longer get pleasure or satisfaction when we hear something negative has happened to that person. Forgiveness is not an option. If you've been hurt, forgive. Don't wait until the person comes to you seeking to make everything right. That may never happen. Our Lord commanded us to freely forgive, forgive without limits. The one who forgave our unpayable debt calls us to forgive the debts others owe us. And He stands ready to empower us and bless us as we seek to obey Him by forgiving others. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, I'm so thankful for You. I'm thankful for the forgiveness that You gave me. When I turned to You, when I repented, when I asked You to forgive my sins, You did. You did graciously, you did miraculously and wondrously. You forgave that huge, unpayable debt that I owed you. Help me now, I pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, to obey the commandment of the Lord as we see it in Scripture, that we would forgive others those debts that they owe us. Help us to do so, I pray. It is not always within our power, in and of ourselves, to do this. But with the help of the Lord, we trust that you will, you will enable us to truly forgive any wrong, every wrong that's been done against us every single time in accordance with your word as we submit ourselves to you, as we give ourselves to you, continue to, to raise us up, to bless us, to strengthen us, cause us to move forward into Christ's likeness Bless the remainder of our service here, we pray, and these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll be back at a quarter till for our worship service.